Well, today we have with us uh, Randy Schmoor, who I'd like to welcome to the platform with me now. Randy is one of the uh, speakers, presenters from the GEM conference we had this past weekend, uh, and he is the gateway director for the NABC conference, the, the conference that we are a part of. Now, Gateway is one of the emphasis our conference has to help encourage, uh, promote, resource churches to be involved in short-term and long-term mission trips and partnerships. And as the general, as the director of that emphasis, Randy uh, personally supports coaches and works with churches as they begin to think and explore long-term partnerships. Uh, culturally and internationally around the world. So a little bit about Randy. He has uh, led and trained short-term mission teams in churches for over two decades now. It's a long time to be doing that. Lots of information there. He is on the board of the Standard of Excellence for short-term missions. Uh, Randy also loves hockey. True. He's from Brooksfield, Wisconsin, which means he also loves the Packers. That's right. True. <laughs> Loves his wife, Shelly. Yes. True. <laughs> Son, Cameron. And we love having you here with us today. So thank you thank so you much Mark. for being with us this weekend and for sharing from God's Word today. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me here this morning. It's great to be, I will say, back at West Meadows. I don't know if I've had the chance to be a part of a Sunday morning with you in the past, but... It, it really is a joy to be a part of the GEM Mission Conference the last few days. And what this last couple months for me of finally getting back on the road again has really taught me, wow, how much I appreciate just the people of God and having the chance to interact with people again. You know, it's, it's something you kind of take for granted and going, oh, going out on the road again, get tired, all that sort of thing. But, oh man, it's worth it. And so, thanks so much for having me here for the conference and also, of course, this morning. Appreciate that. I also need to mention, so I have youth ministry in my background, and I know I was sitting in this very sanctuary a number of years ago when I was a youth pastor, somewhere right over here, actually, and I was driven to the front of this sanctuary to drink a can of Pepsi through a sock. That was something... I will never forget, and my wife will never forget either, when I came to sit next to her and she started sliding away. (laughs) So the the weirdest part about it is it wasn't my sock either. So you can ask me about it later. So, yeah, youth still do crazy things, I think. So, but, you know, I'm I'm still a little bit youth-wise at heart. So, for sure. So... Some of you know that as uh, Pastor Mark was sharing some things about what we do in Gateway and this whole idea of long-term and sister church partnerships and short-term mission being underneath that context, uh, that I've been having some conversations with some of your leaders here. I think you've had some follow-up meetings and discussions about that idea and about West Meadows getting involved in that sort of thing. And so... In light of that, I thought what I'd share with you this morning, just where it's, this is really personal to me, where my heart comes from for this and where I see in the scriptures just some of the uh, amazing things that to me inspire why. Why to be about something like this as a church? Why to be about something, uh, you know, as big as what mission is about and all of that? 
So I'm going to take us through, and my message title today is Global Church Identity, and we're going to get to that, but I want to start in Colossians and framing this up a bit before we go into Ephesians, which I think arguably is one of the best places for us to understand our identity as a church. We're going to camp out there for a while before jumping back to Colossians again and the idea of mission, okay? So if you want to keep track with where we're headed this morning, that's great. They were asking me for slides, and I'm going, it's kind of scattered. So <laughs> if people want to track uh, in, uh, on your Bible or your app or however you do that, that's great. So where I'd like us to start, though, yes, is in Colossians chapter 1. And what I want us to look at here is something having to do, and many of you are going to recognize this passage, I'm sure, in verses 15 beginning with 15 through 17, where we're going to look here for just a moment at Christology and theology. And what we mean by that is, who is Jesus and who is God? Okay? I think that's a good under general underpinning for where we want to head with that. So if you want to look at that with me, in verse 15 of Colossians 1, Christ, Jesus Christ, is the visible image of, of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. This is power-packed verses here, understanding who Jesus is and who God is. God is Jesus. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so appreciate some of the music we were singing that the worship team led us in this morning that was talking about this very thing of that trinity and the creation that came out of that trinity, the whole you know, from us to everything in this universe. And the fact that not only was Jesus involved in that, but he continues to be involved as a sustainer of all of that. It's why everything doesn't, and atoms and molecules and all of that, don't just go spinning off into nether netherland. It's because Jesus is holding it all together. Jesus is doing that. And so I think... It's important for us to understand that right at the beginning of what's being said here in Colossians. But we're going to start jumping over to Ephesians here now because we understand that, but what does that mean for us? Well, it means something for us because of who Jesus is. It says in the first uh, part of verse 18, actually, well, let me start at 17. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. I read that. And then in verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. And with that, let's jump over to Ephesians. Now, in the spirit of jumping around, I'm going to jump around in Ephesians too, as well. I'm going to move through a few different places where it talks about these different metaphors of who we are as the church and helping us understand, I think, a full picture even as I believe Paul himself began to and was inspired to understand the fullest of pictures of who the church is. And as I'm saying it here, 
it's the global church I want us to be thinking of in these terms. I think we're pretty adept at understanding a lot of these passages and these ideas and these metaphors of what it means for us in a local context. But I want us to adapt our thinking to, to, to it, to think about what does this mean because the church is a global church? What does that mean? So four places we're going to look here in the time we have uh, this morning. We're going to start with what it just said in Colossians 1. Remember it said in verse 18 of Colossians 1 that Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. So Paul picks that up in Ephesians chapter 4. So let's look there. Ephesians 4 in verse 3. Now here we'll see, first of all, that it says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, here it is, and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. So really important, a lot of ones there, right? <laughs> there is not all this, you know, factioning and splitting up of different things when it comes to God, when it comes to the faith, when it comes to baptism, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the spirit, when it comes to the body. It's one. There is one body that is Christ, and we are all part of that, okay? So this doesn't mean we can't understand ourselves in terms of West Meadows Baptist Church, but in a greater sense, we always need to, I believe, put that in the context of understanding that there is only one body, and it is a global one. It is one that is throughout this entire world. So I think as we look at that and understand that, there's some things that follow from that that maybe I hadn't thought of in the past before. But as I look at this and we go down further in this passage, there's some great stuff talking about because there is one church, that we have these different leaders and leadership gifts and some really important things in between there. But in the spirit of time, we're going to move on to verse 14 in chapter 4 where it says then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. That's the equipping part. So that doesn't happen. And then verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, here it is again, who is the head of his body, the church, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, that's language we're recognizing from 1 Corinthians 13 as well in talking in terms where Paul says, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The ear can't say to the eye, I don't need you. You remember that and in talking about those different parts of the body all being necessary. Now, I don't know about you, but that was easy for me to understand with the folks I sit in the pews with, right? On Sunday morning, and I serve with in my local church. We all need each other in that way. But hold on. 
If we take this whole body idea and realize we're talking about the global body and we start thinking of these ideas of the, the uh, ear can't say to the eye or the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, and we start seeing things here that in verse 16 that he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work, what is that starting to tell us? It's starting to tell us that there is a global body of Christ of which every part, every fellowship, every local body in that body of Christ is of infinite worth and needs to be playing a part in the purposes of God. Every one of them needs to be a part of that. And so somehow we need to understand, I believe, and make that practical in some senses. I hope you're seeing where I'm going with this that it matters what we do here in Edmonton as to what is happening with a local church in Uganda, in Romania, in South Africa, in Mexico, what have you. What they do matters to the entire body just as much as what we do. And I'm going to get to what does that mean in the practical sense. Let's jump to another place. We have the body of Christ for sure. Talking about and understanding that is really important. Jump over to chapter 5 in verse 25, beginning there. Now you might be wondering, is he on the right spot here? We're talking about marriage and husbands loving wives and all of this stuff here. Track with me. In verse 25, husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word. And then going down to verse 32, this whole idea of man leaving his father and joining to his wife is a great mystery, but this is what's on Paul's mind. It is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Okay? So we have the metaphor of the body of Christ with Christ being the head, but we have according to Paul, another way to understand this, and that's husbands and wives and marriage, that there is a great love that Christ has for his bride. We are the bride of Christ. And I think there's, you know, I, to be real honest, always had a hard time with that as a man in understanding a bride. Okay, you know, I have a bride, but I don't think I get it entirely because because of that and, and being a man. But as I started to look into this and understand what is the crucial thing we need to understand about the church in relation to Christ, and the real crux of all of this is that Christ loves the church. We are dearly beloved in the Father's eyes, yes, but in the eyes of Jesus We are his dearly loved body. Just as, you know, the whole language that it's, you know, a a man's wife is like, and the way it's treated, it's treating his own body. And Jesus sees us in that way. And so what does that mean for us in understanding ourselves? Well, if that kind of love is being aimed at us, that Jesus as like a, a, a man and a woman is aiming the, the love that way and, and aiming that love towards us as Christ's bride or as his bride, 
we need to understand that love is very much a foundation of all we should understand about ourselves as a church. It's foundational because it's foundational in Jesus. It's not just for him to love us, but it is, of course, also incumbent on us to love each other. And so when we start thinking of that in terms of a global church, there is a deep love that I believe Jesus wants us to understand amongst ourselves as a global church. And that doesn't just happen by, I think, only reading words on a page and hearing a story from a missionary once in a while. I think there's some ways, especially in this day and age, that we can really take a deep dive into that in developing the love that we need to have as that body of Christ, one for another. So let's look at another one. And this one, I think, is one that we can overlook many times. But chapter 3, remember, I'm jumping around. Chapter 3 and verse 3 of Ephesians. And here we read this. Paul writing here, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan Regarding Christ, God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his Spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, the gospel, share equally in the riches inherited by God's children, both part of the same body, there is that again, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. So there is a mysterious sort of plan that Paul is revealing here that prior to him and his time is what he's saying, this was not known. It was assumed that God's people were the nation of Israel and the Jews, and that's all there was to it. But Paul himself, a Jew, is expressing here, no, this involves other peoples of the world, which is what Gentiles really does cover. It's anyone who's not Jewish. So that's the context he's writing this in. But another thing that's underneath that that we should understand is there is very much a cross-cultural component in what was the biggest um, hang-up or stumbling block for Jews regarding hanging out with Gentiles. It was the differences culturally in how they behaved and what they did and the things they ate and just how they acted in life. How could they possibly be God's people? But this is what Paul is saying. No, they are and always have been this mysterious part of God's plan. These different ones. So we don't just look at that and say, well, hey, we're the different ones, so I'm glad we're in. No, I think we need to put in a case like this ourselves in the place of God's people and realize there are plenty of different ones in the world among us out there that God has desired to be a part of his family, his body, the body of Christ, his bride. And they're different culturally and in so many and language-wise and in all the ways that we would think about than ourselves. And we need to 
include them and even work with them and recognize them as part of this global church identity. One more thing here in chapter 3, which I think is pretty amazing, and it's in verse 10. God's purpose, so why was he doing this? God's purpose in all this was to use the church, his body, to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, places. In verse 11, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's plan was a mystery, and God's plan was ultimately his wisdom. We are the wisdom of God to be shown to the entire created unseen and seen universe. The church is that. Okay? That is really something, if you start to think about it, that that is our place, that is part of God's plan for us, that we are his ultimate wisdom. Part of his ultimate wisdom. That's quite a thing to hang on the wall, isn't it? Of being part of God's, part of the global church and part of God's plan and identity. I honestly think there's a lot of times that Scripture has some things and, and many things for us and the Spirit wants to open up to us that are very mysterious. And we, I think, sometimes can get complacent in thinking we understand everything about this after we've been around for a while, which I have now too. <laughs> um, and we could start feeling that way about it. But I believe, just like this, there are other mysteries of God that he has for us. And, you know, to me, that's just an amazing thing and just one thing more that makes my faith stronger to know that God has so many layers. Jesus has so many layers to who he is for us to, that we could take the entire eternity before we'd understand it all. I think that's part of understanding this mystery of this God we serve and specifically having to do with this, for sure, with us as a church. We'll look at one more in Ephesians. And this one is still going in reverse direction in chapter 2. Now this one kind of sets up what we just talked about, about the Gentiles and Jews. But let's look here. In verse 14, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. That's what we were just talking about. When, his own, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. Remember that as we go back to Colossians in just a moment. So let's go down to verse 19. That kind of sets everything up that we were just talking about in regards to Jews and Gentiles. So the Gentiles, you, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with God's holy people. You count. You're part of. Everyone is potentially 
part of God's family. Together we are, and this think in terms of the global church now, his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple, another building, a household or house, and now a temple in the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We're a family, a household, a home. We said we're a body, a bride, the mystery and wisdom of God, but the church and the global church specifically is a family, a household, and even a temple. Now, if we're a family and a household, we know that language, right? What do you have in families? Siblings, right? Brothers, sisters, you have mom and dad, but you have brothers and sisters in that family, okay? Sisters in the global church, brothers in the global church. They're individuals, but yeah, they're also other bodies as well. Sister churches, maybe, if you will. Now, I wish I could take credit and say this is exactly where I got the idea that that's why we call it that. No, (laughs) it wasn't. I was thinking more in terms way back about sister cities, you know, in Germany or in the Netherlands or something like that, that that a city would have. But then as I started looking at this in Ephesians and it was and it brought to my attention, I'm like, yeah. We, we need to, as fellowships, have actual siblings and not just recognize that we do, but also act like we do. And this is, I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, where some of the inspiration for why do this sort of thing. Why get involved in mission in this sort of way, with our other counterparts, with our other brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, with other sister churches? Well, because if we're going to be a family, we need to realize we're all on mission together and act like it. I think in this day and age, that's becoming more apparent to us all the time. Now, sure, we're living through... an. Uh, unprecedented, and that word gets used too much, I think, <laughs> but it is that, right, time that we're in right now. And there's a lot of reason to say, well, hold on a second. We can't go anywhere. We have to stay home. We have to do all these things. Well, you know, acting like brothers and sisters, as we all know these days, and some of you are participating this way as I speak, happens over the Internet as well. And our relationships and even people that you have in your family that live across the country or another country or whatever the case might be, you're using things like Zoom. You're talking to them on a regular basis. And as we think about this whole idea of what it means for sister churches to work with each other and do that, part of that, yeah, is going to use things like planes and going to them, but it's probably going to be a lot about how we use the Internet and ways that we connect with them in that way. And, of course, Lots of other things which we don't have time to talk about here this morning that actually show and live out 
how we function as sister churches in partnership with each other. But as we finish this out, the main way, I believe, these churches and sister churches would function with each other is shown going back to Colossians. So let's go back there in finishing out what's said. We had a theology and a Christology. We just talked an ecclesiology or a doctrine of the church is what we just talked about throughout Ephesians there and all those different ways Paul mentioned. Now let's talk about a missiology. What is the mission? If Jesus is our head and we're his body, what are we following and walking with him into? Well, it's right there in verse 18 where he begins by saying he is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead or firstborn of the dead. So he is first in everything, Jesus. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. This is the mission. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So Jesus, in being the first to rise from the dead, did not despise the cross. He went there and in the, another mysterious way provided reconciliation, redemption, and union for all things. Don't lose that here. God reconciled everything to himself. And it was even said in one of the songs we sung this morning that in God's sight and Jesus' sight and his mission of going to the cross and then being resurrected to new life, where Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new. Yes, that means every one of us, but that means as well the entire universe. And why would it be that way? Why would everything be under the gaze of Christ and the influence of his mission of reconciliation? Where did we start? He created it all. Jesus created it all. And he means and is redeeming it all and making all things new. And that's every one of us as well in the midst of that. So if we're wondering, what is our mission then in doing this together with Jesus? We are a part of proclaiming and demonstrating all of that. And even, I would say, incarnating all of that to people around us. But people on the other side of the world as well, too. And how do we do that? We do it together with our brothers and sisters, reaching into each other's Jerusalems, reaching into each other's Judeas, Samarias, ultimately the ends of the earth. So I think as we look at the purposes of the church, in the sight of God, in the sight of Jesus, we're following in his footsteps, friends. What, was Je what Jesus is about in mission is what we're to be about in mission. It's giving of ourselves, and it's ultimately new life, and bringing that, announcing that, and showing that. And as the church works together to do that, we'll find ourselves moving in that direction of doing mission together as a global body, understanding our identity of who we are and how Jesus wants us to follow him 
into his mission and his intentions for the entire universe. <laughs> that's big stuff. And to me, that's inspirational and something I can give my entire life to. And so let's pray this morning as we consider this and these thoughts. Holy Spirit, we are grateful for what and who you inspire us to be. Jesus, we are grateful for who you are to us, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Reconciler, coming to incarnate in this world among us, not despising the cross, but walking straight towards it and showing your authority and your power over sin and death and the newness of life through your resurrection and sitting now as king of all the universe at the right hand of the Father. And Father, we're just grateful to you and thank you for this amazing plan involving the Son and the Spirit that we are being called into. We thank you that we are a family and that you've given us each other to carry this out and to walk in the same steps as you, Jesus. Thank you for this and we pray it and pray that we continue to be inspired by what you're calling us to. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.